Grace and peace to you, beloved. Grace and peace to you, Amy. I am Amy Wilson-Feltz, the pastor here at Morningstar. It is a privilege to be with you on any Sunday and certainly on All Saints Day. One of the readings that has been suggested for this All Saints Day in our revised common lectionary comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 11. We'll begin reading in verse 32, but so much happens in the story before then. We need a little bit of background. This is the story of the raising of Lazarus. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. Lazarus became very ill while Jesus was out of town, and so the sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, you may know them from other stories in the New Testament, they send word to Jesus, and they let him know that Lazarus is sick, and Jesus responds by staying where he is for two more days. And then he gathers the disciples, and he said, let's go. We need to wake up Lazarus. Lazarus is sleeping. And the disciples say, we don't want to go. People are trying to kill you. If Lazarus is sleeping, let him sleep. That will make him feel better. And that's when Jesus says, no, Lazarus has died. And God is up to something really important. We need to be present there to witness this and to usher it in. And so they go and they arrive in Bethany. And as soon as they arrive, they are told that Lazarus has indeed died and that he has been in his grave for four days. So Martha, one of the sisters, comes up to Jesus and says, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And then Martha and Jesus, they have a conversation about the glory of God, about the meaning of the resurrection. And Martha calls for her sister Mary to come and join the conversation. And that's where we pick up the story this morning. So I invite you to turn to John chapter 11, verse 32. You can follow along on the screens above me as well. We'll read verses 32 through 44. Hear now the word of God. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
almost 14 years ago now, I flew from where I was studying and living in New Jersey back to Texas and basically invited myself to move in with my sister and brother-in-law for a few weeks while they were awaiting the birth of their first child, my first nephew. Zachary was due to arrive just after Christmas. So again, I invited myself in. I made myself at home. I arranged to submit my finals, which were due after Christmas, from Texas. That was not as easy to do then as it would be to do now. And we waited, and we waited, and my sister's pregnancy moved into the 40th week and the 41st week. (laughs) So by the time that Zachary finally arrived on January the 7th, I had a few days to hold him, to snuggle with him, to pray over him. And on the night before my departure back to the Northeast, I sat with him in my arms on the couch, and I looked down at his beautiful little face, And tears streamed down my own face. By that time, other family members have arrived to meet the baby. You can imagine that. And so one of Zachary's other relatives, who was just a child herself at the time, asked me, why are you crying? She wasn't judgmental. She was just curious. But she didn't understand why I was crying. This is a happy time, right? A baby had been born. And I said, I love him so much, and I don't want to leave him. And she leaned over and whispered into his newborn ear, did you hear that? She loves you so much. Why are you crying? It's a question that we ask of Jesus in this passage. Why are you crying? It's a popular question because this is a This is a popular verse. The story about the raising of Lazarus draws a lot of attention. And many of you know that verse 35 tells us that Jesus wept. My translation said Jesus began to weep. But many translations say Jesus wept. We know this because we're told we can memorize this verse easily. If there's just one verse that we can memorize, it would be this one. So if you're following along on the sermon notes this morning, that's your first answer. The shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. It's also famous, this verse, for being a thought-provoking. Jesus wept. And the question remains, why? Why is Jesus crying? And we ask this question for our own benefit for many reasons. For one, Jesus knew that Lazarus was sick. The sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, they had sent word to Jesus to tell their dear friend about the condition of their brother. And again, Jesus responds by staying put for two days. But there's another reason that we ask this question. Why is Jesus crying when he could have prevented the death of Lazarus in the first place? That's what Mary and Martha were expecting. That's what they tell Jesus when he arrives. If you had been here, our brother would not have died. Later, of course, as we read this morning, Jesus actually raises Lazarus from the dead, literally calling the dead man out of his tomb by name. And that's the third reason that we ask the question, because we know the end of the story. We already know, as Jesus predicted earlier in the chapter, that the sickness of Lazarus will not end in death. We know this about our own lives, too. 
about our own deaths. We who follow Jesus, we profess that death is not the end. We can articulate that death is as much a part of life as birth. We know this. And the truth is, we're all a little sadder for it all of the time, no matter what we say about our faith and our hope in the resurrection. When the people we love are sick, we hope and we pray and we do everything we can to delay their death, to postpone our separation, to stay together on this side of eternity for as long as possible. Sometimes we go so far as to downplay the diagnosis or ignore the prognosis. We try to patch up all of the pieces and hold them together to slow down the inevitable march of time toward death. And when our loved ones actually die, we weep. And then the parade of if only begins to march through our minds. If only we had caught it sooner. If only we had paid more attention. If only we had prayed harder. If only we'd spent more time, paid more money. If only we tried one more thing, our loved ones would not have died. Today is the Sunday in the church calendar when many people of many faith traditions around the world observe All Saints Day. Today we gather together to acknowledge the reality that some of our loved ones have died in the past year or two. We gather to give thanks for their lives and for their roles as saints in the church and to acknowledge our grief as much as we'd like to ignore it. Grief is so frustrating. We can talk about the stages of grief, shock, denial, bargaining, guilt, anger, depression, acceptance. They're good for us, we are told, these stages of grief. But talking about grief in this way, even though we know these stages are not linear, talking about grief in this way makes it seem if we could just push ourselves through the process, we'll get to the other side and we won't feel pain anymore. Sometimes we tell ourselves that we can power through our grief or ignore it altogether. If only, if only we could approach grief that way. If only God would spare our loved ones. If only Jesus had been there. But he was, wasn't he? In our story for today, Jesus was there. He showed up. He showed up in his own time but he says soon after hearing about Lazarus' sickness that God is up to something glorious, that whatever is about to happen is going to reveal the greatness of God. It's such an interesting story. It's full of human emotion, human grief in many stages. We see Mary and Martha, they're bargaining with Jesus a couple of times. First they try to bargain and say, Keep this from happening in the first place. Save our brother. And then we see Mary and Martha place their guilt on Jesus. If you had just been here, he would not have died. We see their anger. We see their depression in their weeping, which again raises the question, why did Jesus weep? So many answers have been given to this question over the years. One 
set of answers speaks to the disappointment of Jesus and the lack of faith that Mary and Martha and the crowd exhibited because they accepted too easily that Lazarus was dead, that it was too late, that nothing could be done. Now, that theory never made much sense to me because Mary and Martha, they had faith that Jesus could heal Lazarus. They they knew that he had the power to raise people from the dead. They'd either heard about it or even witnessed it themselves. So what they wanted in this moment was to avoid the pain of death in the first place, which is totally understandable from a human perspective. So I don't think Jesus was crying out of disappointment. Some say instead that Jesus was crying out of compassion for Mary and Martha and for their own grief. That's a little bit more believable, but we see all kinds of examples of the compassion of Jesus exhibited throughout the New Testament, and this story is different. It reads differently. It's more intense. It's more vulnerable. Yes, that could be explained by the deep friendship between Jesus and Lazarus and Mary and Martha as well, but the word that is used for weeping or wept here connotes something other than sadness, even something more than a feeling of sympathy. This particular word in the original language actually communicates agitation or indignation. Jesus most certainly felt compassion for Mary and Martha in their grief, but his tears were not the sentimental kind. Jesus is agitated here, not at a lack of faith, but at the bitter cost and the power that death has in life, the grief that it causes, the attention that it draws away from the life and the peace and the power of God. It is in this state of disturbance that Jesus walks to the tomb and orders the stone to be rolled away, ignoring the warnings about the stench that would be released and prays to God. Thank you for hearing me. He says, thank you for hearing me just before he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. It is precisely with this prayer, beloved, that Jesus puts the spotlight back onto God's power. His public prayer and his public tears before that, they grant the people of God the opportunity to witness the depth of the love of God in the flesh. A love that transcends death. Jesus weeps, in other words, for the sake of the crowd. Jesus weeps for the sake of the crowd. It's also for the sake of the crowd that we observe All Saints Day. It's for the sake of the crowd that we read the names and light the candles and toll the bell. It's for the sake of the crowd that we not merely acknowledge our grief, but celebrate the lives of the people we know who follow Jesus That's why we call them saints. In our tradition, a saint is not a person who performs a miracle necessarily. A saint is someone who follows Jesus and meets the needs of ordinary people in ordinary ways every day. We light candles for the saints of the church. The saints of the church who have departed from this earth, recognizing that we, the saints of the church who remain, still have work to do, prayers to pray, tears to shed, lives to live. 
And that's part of the point, too. All Saints Day isn't so much about death as it is about life. Not just the lives that already have been lived, but the life that is to come in eternity, but also here and now. Our lives, the rest of our lives, as fresh and as new as the life of a newborn baby sleeping soundly in our arms. So the sacred remembrance puts the spotlight back onto the power of God, reminding us that out of death comes new life. Now, we would like to witness a Lazarus experience, wouldn't we? We'd like for Jesus to walk up to our graves, calling us by name and ordering us to be set free from whatever binds us. Well, the good news is, actually, this might just be the best news ever. It's already been done. It's already been done, beloved. We've already been set free. We've already been set free from our death. We've already been given new life. And not just for our sake, Guillermo, but for the sake of the crowd. So why are we crying? Well, we cry because life is hard. Because separation hurts, because death stinks, quite literally, because grief takes our breath away, because we're angry, we're indignant at all of the heartache that we experience as human beings. Why are we crying? We cry because we want things to be different. We want things to be better. We want the most out of this life. We want to breathe in deeply the promises of God because we feel deeply because we have hope the hope of mary and martha that we will see the glory of god and we will beloved we do every day whether the tears stream freely down our faces whether they sting in our eyes because we're trying to hold them back or whether they refuse to form at all we can trust that we will see the glory of god because it's the depth of our feeling for each other, for the saints of the church and for all of humanity that allows us to rediscover time and time again that our God is at work bringing life from death. And it's in this truth that we can both acknowledge our grief and continue to live our own lives for the sake of the crowd. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for working in our lives, not just in our individual lives, but in all of our lives together. We thank you for working for the sake of the crowd. We once again give you Thanks and praise for the influence of the lives of the people who have gone on into eternity before us. And we give you thanks and praise for the lives that we live now. May everything they have taught us and everything that we have learned continue to shape us as we follow Jesus in compassion and in mercy. Putting the spotlight back on your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.